listeners, and welcome to Ohio Mysteries. This is your 10-minute mystery edition, a little slice of intrigue in the middle of your week. I'm your co-host, Steve Yoder, and with us as always, our storyteller and journalist, Paula Schleiss. Hi, everybody. We've all heard about hazing at the university level. The practice has been going on for nearly two centuries. In 2017, for instance, a study found 40 students had been killed by the practice in the previous decade alone. But in Ohio, dating back to the 19th century, I found at least four young people who died from hazing at the high school and even elementary school level. Tonight, I'm going to focus on one case, long forgotten because it was the unmarried and only son of an unmarried mother. They had no descendants to repeat this story. I found it while reading old newspaper clippings for another topic, and I was shocked by who the victim was. Because it's possible that a high school hazing event shortened the life of someone who was on his way to being a captain of industry in Akron, Ohio. In 1898, Herbert B. Knowles was just 23 and already on top of the world. He and two other friends founded a business that still exists today. The Burt Manufacturing Company in Akron is more than 130 years old and at its height filled more than a downtown city block. Herbert B. Knowles was its first president. But Herbert, they called him Bert for short, didn't live to see his company's amazing growth and evolution over the next century. He didn't make it to his 24th birthday. He died suddenly and unexpectedly from a medical condition. Some believed he had been living with a ticking time bomb, implanted during a brutal hazing in his freshman year at Akron High School, and that it took nearly a decade to detonate. Bert was born in 1875 and would have begun Akron High School in 1889. The school was on Forge Street, the site that would one day be Central Howard High School, for those of you in Akron who are wondering. The city's first high school was just three years old when Bert walked through the doors, and it had already changed the face of education in Akron. Before it opened, in 1886, students remained in the same building most of their school career. They all knew each other from the neighborhood, with the exception of the occasional new kid in town. By bringing all the high schoolers together in a single building, the district could provide some unique and specialized programming not available to previous generations. And Akron High was state-of-the-art. It included a 650-seat auditorium, an upper floor devoted to a museum and a literary society, and revolutionary speaking tubes that allowed people to communicate between offices without leaving their floor. The exterior was beautiful. It looked like a private college, three stories high with a bell tower front and center. The design was called Eclectic Picturesque and featured solid oak woodwork trimmed with bronze, sandstone arches, and terracotta trim. The school also had marble fountains, fountains that quickly came to be one of the sources of freshman torture 
as incoming students would have their heads forced beneath the water. We can only guess why it began. Perhaps because students were now in a building with so many strangers, and of an age when they sought to prove themselves in a cultural hierarchy. Or maybe their luxurious environs had them fancying themselves as college students, in an era when college hazing was notorious. Whatever the case, hazing quietly became a standard for young men in their first week at Akron High. In addition to the dunking in the marble fountains, new students would be bundled into blankets and tossed into the air four or five feet, or stripped of their clothes. The hazing could be repeated for days. In many cases, injuries were sustained by students fighting vigorously to escape their captors. Years later, a student would tell the school board during a hearing that many young boys in Akron lived in fear of starting their freshman year. Whatever happened to Bert Knowles, it wasn't anything that made the papers, at least not then. Bert lived with his mom, May Knowles, I found her obituary in 1935. She was the daughter of a preacher, and she and her family had moved to Akron from Nova Scotia, Canada, when she was young. Bert's dad is a mystery, and it seems likely that May had never married him. Her parents and siblings all carried the name Knowles, so she had never taken another name. No husband was mentioned in obituaries or news items about the deaths of her and her son, and some public records I found called her unmarried when I would have thought they would have used the term widowed. But if Bert's roots were a problem at a time when Victorian morals often scarred fatherless children, it didn't stop him from growing into a bright and promising young businessman. After graduation, Bert landed a job with the B.F. Goodrich Rubber Company, working in the main office with the title of correspondent. While there, he recognized an opportunity. He was still only 18 when he and two partners, Charles Raymond and Bert Works, organized a business to sell hard rubber specialties being made by B.F. Goodrich, including inkwells, fountain pens, and poker chips. Bert Knowles took on the role of president. The trio decided to call their company Bert Manufacturing because two of the founders and two others involved with the startup were all named Bert. Though I should mention Bert Knowles spelled his name B-E-R-T and the company's name is B-U-R-T. In their second year of existence, The company added oil filters to its inventory, a product that quickly turned them into a world leader in that field. They acquired customers in three dozen countries. The local paper routinely reported on their growth, with many small news items announcing each time they were shipping filters off to oil fields in Russia and China or electric plants in Japan. Burt Manufacturing had their filters installed in U.S. battleships and torpedo boats, in cotton mills, on the continents of South America, Europe, Asia, even Africa. Burt Knoll's meteoric rise in Akron's booming business world came to a sudden halt 
on May the 22nd, 1898. The 23-year-old entrepreneur died quite suddenly. An autopsy determined the cause of death was the bursting of a blood tumor on his spleen. The tumor was the size of a coffee cup, and when it broke, it discharged at minimum a pint of blood into his system. Doctors traced the culprit to his heart, which was filled with membrane deposits that had made it difficult for the blood to circulate in his body and probably caused the blood tumor to form on his spleen. The story also added this, that doctors believe the origin of his damaged heart came from the hazing he underwent at Akron High School. The details of the hazing weren't given, The news report said only the assault was not a delicate handling and that Bert did not tamely submit to the treatment. While Bert may not have understood his heart condition, he did believe the injury sustained in that hazing had changed him permanently because afterward he was unable to participate in any sports that required strenuous exertion. Bert was buried in East Cleveland Township Cemetery, today a part of Cleveland, beneath a marker with a Latin cross and the words Herbert B. Knowles, 23 years. It's a cemetery where more than a dozen extended members of the Knowles family have been laid to rest. He left an estate valued at nearly $6,000. That's close to $200,000 today. His mom inherited his interests in Burt Manufacturing. May Knowles became a director of the company and its largest stockholder. The memory of Burt Knowles lived on for many years after his death. A group of friends and business associates funded a reading room in his name at a brand new YMCA that was being built. His mother paid for another reading room at the new Union Charity Association building being erected. She also became the patroness for the Herbert B. Knowles Business Club that existed for at least 20 years and mentored Akron boys with an interest in business. Now, about that hazing practice at Akron High. In September of 1903, seven juniors were caught tormenting three so-called country boys, who had arrived for their first day at Akron High. They dunked them in the fountains, tossed them in the air using blankets, tore clothes from their bodies, and left them with some bruises. Superintendent Henry Hotchkiss had the boys brought to a hearing before the school board before the week was out. And that's where, for the first time, the greater Akron community learned hazing had become a tradition at the school. Even Superintendent Hotchkiss was caught by surprise, telling the board he'd only ever heard of one case during his term. But one by one, the suspended boys took turns in the hearing and described a practice that had become as routine as the morning bell. Charles Rogers said, I was compelled to duck my head in the fountain every day for a week. I didn't get the blanket, but I was handled rougher than the boys were on Monday. I had a hand in the hazing, and I do not know whether I am sorry for it or not. Harry Feudner said, I was hazed when I first came up here, and I didn't make a great deal of fuss about it. I kept a memorandum of the number of times I hit the limbs of that big tree, 
and it shows I struck them an even dozen times. I was also put under water three times, and I rather enjoyed it. Wade DeWoody told the board, It has always been the custom to initiate the new students, and I see no harm in the sport. When I was first hazed, I was frightened considerably, but when I learned that the boys would not hurt me, I liked the custom. Clearly, even though this incident occurred just five years after Bert Knowles died, his story had already been forgotten. By no means was Akron the only school district where students were hazing each other. As a matter of fact, in each of the next three years after that hearing, an Ohio student died from hazing. In 1904, in the city of Findlay, it was 10-year-old Freddie Philwalk. He was being hazed by older boys at Rawson School and had managed to escape them and run toward home, but he fell, striking the back of his head on a stake. Several boys piled on top of him, and when they cleared off, his back and several ribs had been broken and his skull fractured. He died several days later. In 1905, in the city of Hilliard, west of Columbus, 16-year-old Cecil Leap was killed after being hazed at Hilliard High School. Eight classmates did something called riding the rail. They placed him flat on a fence rail and held him straddled that way while boys jumped on his back to ride him. It took a week for him to die of the internal, spinal, and brain injuries that resulted. In 1906, in the city of Lima, 13-year-old William Taylor was hazed by classmates and left buried in a snowdrift. He died of pneumonia a few days later. Obviously, there are more examples of hazing at the college level. I didn't focus on them in this episode, but I will call your attention to an episode we did on Stuart Pearson of Kenyon College, who was decapitated by a train during his fraternity initiation. You can find that episode, The Hazing of Stuart Pearson, in our catalog at ohiomysteries.com, or you can scroll down to episode number 57 on your podcast app. That's it for tonight, listeners. For photos, news clippings, and more on this and every episode, hop on over to our website, ohiomysteries.com. We are also a proud member of Evergreen Podcasts, the Evergreen Podcasts Network. For more information or to check out other shows on this network, please visit evergreenpodcasts.com. A news story gets shared by a friend on social media, or you catch a tweet that really makes your blood boil. But how do you separate fact from fiction? That's the premise behind Disinformation, a 10-part series from Evergreen Podcasts and Emergent Risk International coming this fall. Tune in to Disinformation wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, don't believe everything you read.